This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. How many of you love movies? Anybody? You love movies? One, two, three. A few hands slowly coming up. Nobody loves movies? Y'all are too holy. Okay. All right. Y'all don't watch movies? Okay. I love movies. I'm a huge movie buff. I love movies. Are there movies that you've watched and you instantly regret watching that movie? Like, have you instantly regretted, like, anybody? Yes? No? Okay. There are some movies, like, some of that, like, you're like, why did I waste the last hour and a half of my life watching this? Like, what was the point of that movie? Why, like, how did they even make money in the box? Yes? No? Some of y'all, 10 minutes into the movie, you're like, yeah, no, not watching this at all. How many of you have watched a movie more than once? Same, okay, a lot more hands now, right? You, you, you do, there's so many rewatchable movies. Give me an example of a rewatchable movie, a movie that you can watch numerous amount of times and you don't get older, don't get sick of it. Anybody? Godfather, okay. Lion King, okay. Matilda, okay. Anybody else? Some guy said notebook, who was that? <laughs> no, ain't nothing wrong with notebook, I'm just saying. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Nemo, Finding Nemo, right? Kids, what, what movie do you, Frozen, right? No, I'm sorry? Pacific Rim, never heard of it. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go watch it tonight. Pacific Rim, all right. Home Alone, right? Home Alone. What's that? Parent, parent Trap, yeah, Parent Trap, right? Passion of the Christ. Uh, no, 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 y'all haven't watched it more than once. See, there's, there's, there's something about these movies that actually make you go back over and over and over again and watch it. Like, you know exactly what the plot is. You know exactly what the twist is. You know what the ending is. You know who the main characters are. Some of y'all have watched it so many times that you know what the next line of the movie is and you're like sitting there and, and just saying and narrating the rhyme, like lines right there and your family's annoyed with you, right? You're so like in tune with the movie. But the reason you remember is because it hits a certain chord in your heart. It resonates with you. And for some of y'all, it's TV shows. It's a Friends or a Seinfeld or one of those, The Office for some of y'all, depending upon what kind of humor you like. But there's something about it. You know, for me, the Easter message is exactly like that. I preach it every single year. I never get old. I, it never gets old. I never get tired of it. It's something that is so beautiful to preach. Man, someone asked me the other day if I get nervous preaching on Easter. And I told them the first two years of being a pastor, I was super nervous because there's this pressure. There are people that are attending, people that have not attended for a while, people that are guests, people that are new, people that have heard about Easter, people that just attend on Easter, and they hear at church, and you're like, you got to give them an awesome, amazing message. you got to make sure that it's something that they've never heard before. And I would put that pressure on myself. And I had to remind myself, man, I got to stop doing that because the story does not change. It's the same story. It has the same power. It has the same plot. It has the same twist. It has the same victorious ending. And no matter how you try to tell it, the message never changes. So I had to take the pressure off myself to start, stop reworking and 
coming up with new stuff because what makes it beautiful is that this story is for everyone. It could be kids and adults. It transcends race. It transcends culture, creed, color, language. It transcends everything because this story is probably the most beautiful story that, is, that has ever been told. And it applies to me so beautifully because of what this story entails. You know, growing up, how many of y'all hated a subject in school? Anybody? Someone said, whoo, what was, uh, which, which subject did you hate? Which, math, okay, anybody else? Okay, let's, let's make this easy. Who all hated math? Okay, there you go, I hated math. I couldn't wait to graduate from school to say I will never, ever open up a math book ever in my life. Anybody with me? I got one clap, thank you. For those of you who are stuck with math, I feel for you. I feel so bad for you. But I was glad. The day I threw that hat, I was like, bye-bye, math. But you know, as I spent time preparing for this Easter message, and I read through the same story, the same message that I preach every Sunday, every year on Easter, the same gospel message, I said, I'm not going to change it. I'm just going to preach it, but this time when I read it, I was like, this sounds like math. Because there's a problem, there's an equation, or there's a formula, there's the work, and there's the solution. The Easter message in its entirety and its essence revolves around the beautiful execution of this storyline that was so beautifully written before the foundations of this earth was laid. God in his infinite mercy and his beauty knew that man would have a problem. No matter how perfect of a world he put man in, he knew that man would mess it up. So here with a problem in our hands, he knew that there had to be a formula. And for that formula, he knew that it has to be work done in order to reach a solution. The gospel message can be summarized in four points, and I want to give you these four points, and just add a couple more points and close this message for today. It begins with a problem. It begins with a problem. And I couldn't help but go to Jeremiah, a passage that we really don't read in Easter, but I want to kind of show you the problem. I want to show you that the problem that Israel faced back in Jeremiah's time, when Jeremiah the prophet was releasing a word from God to the people, and Jeremiah was looking at the people of Israel, his own people, and he was crying over them. He was in anguish, he was in pain over the condition of his people. And he illustrates this problem for us. The message notes are on the Bible app, so if you want to follow along in the notes, please scan the QR code and you can follow along in the notes. In Jeremiah chapter number 8, verse 18 to 22, we begin our study for this morning. And this is, where the, this is what the Bible says. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. Now, as we read this passage, I want you to understand the depravity of that day because the prophet is crying out and saying, my heart is hurting. Verse 19, behold, the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and the breadth of the land. And here's the cry, is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? 
Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols? The harvest is past. The summer has ended and we are not saved. Verse 21, for the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn and dismay has taken a hold of me. Is there no, excuse me, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? And Jeremiah explains to us what his situation is in that moment in Jeremiah 9 and verse 1, the Bible says, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He's talking about the spiritual depravity. The depravity that Israel is going through in that season and he's in pain. Jeremiah is explaining the condition of your heart and my heart. He's explaining the condition of the heart of the entire human race in this particular passage. Jeremiah is crying against the injustice that happens in the world. He's crying against racism. He's crying against people putting each other down, tearing one another apart, walking away from God, living in the ways of the world. He says, is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no healing for our nation is what he's asking. Man, this story is so much similar to what we are facing today in our country, in our society, in our churches, in our communities, in our families. And further to expound on this, Paul is explaining to us in Ephesians chapter number two, the depravity of our hearts and the need for Jesus. Can I give you the problem? Are you ready for this? Paul describes to us the problem. And he says in Ephesians 2.1, he gives us his diagnosis of our problem. And he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. He says, you and I are dead. The word that he uses is his word called necros or, or the English word corpse. He just doesn't say you died or you passed away. He's saying that you were dead and you're stinking and you are, your, your body is basically just peeling away and your body is disintegrating. That's how bad the stench is. The metaphor he chooses to use is that of a morgue. Like, I want you to imagine this. I want your imagination to run wild while we talk about this subject because Paul wants us to understand the depravity and the stench of our depravity in what we do and where we are in our lives. Unless and until we understand the problem, we will never get to the solution. Unless and until we wrap our mind around the problem. I remember my math teacher would always tell me, take some time to understand the problem. Take some time to read the problem. Take some time to decipher the problem. Take some time to read through the lines. Take some time to understand where and, and, and what this problem requires you to do before you take your steps forward. We are broken people. In verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says this, in which you once walked, the dead, the trespass and sins, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. 
Like, haven't you ever been there where when some, whenever something conspicuously evil happens in the news that we hear about, whether it be a shooting in a mall or a shooting in a school or a church, it could be a terrorist attack or it could be a violent crime. It could be a m gruesome murder. Like, like the question, people are, it's, it's all around the news and people are trying to answer the question, why? Why did this happen? Why did this happen to our community? Why did this happen to this young man, this high school boy? Why did this happen to this person? And, and depending upon what news outlet you're listening to, whether it be CNN or Fox or, or ABC or whatever the other news channels are, the rhetoric is always different. The rhetoric is either, a, hey, the, the, the guy belonged to a broken environment system. There's no father in the home. Or, or people said things to him that were really mean. He was bullied or he was a bully. You should have seen the signs. Or people never understood him. Or the system failed him. Or there's another rhetoric that will come to you and tell you otherwise in, in other terms of saying, man, it's probably not the system. It's probably spiritual darkness. This land is full of darkness. It's devoid of God. God has left the country. God has left our society. Prayer needs to be restored to our churches. Prayer needs to be restored to our, to our communities and to our schools. Or there's a third rhetoric that you will hear that it was a personal choice. That is the heart of man. There's evil inside of every person. And there's truth to every one of these rhetorics. But if we put it all together, it comes down to the fact that humanity died the moment Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. It all comes back to the fact that no matter what the rhetoric, no matter what the statement, no matter what the angle you look at, it comes down to the fact that we are broken, that we are pain, that we are in a place of brokenness and unless and until we get together as the church and say we are broken in desperate need of fixing, God cannot be God. There's a certain sense of brokenness that my God is attracted to. There's a certain amount of death that my God is attracted to. There's a certain amount of nothingness that my God is pulled into. There are three instances in the Bible where Jesus raised people from the dead. One was this little girl that Jesus walked into her home and she said, he said, the Bible actually talks about how she, she looked like she was sleeping. People said, oh, she looks like she's sleeping. Or Jesus looked and said, she's just sleeping. She was fresh. She just died. They got news that she just died. Like, she was not stiff in her body. She was sleeping. The color of her skin had not changed. There was yet another man that Jesus raised from the dead. There was a funeral procession that was going on. He was dead for a while. His body was stiff. Color has left, had left his face. But it doesn't change the fact that he was dead. The third instant, three days later, Jesus rolls up to his best friend's tomb. He says, roll the stone away. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And, and, and his sister goes, Lazarus' sister goes, Jesus, are you crazy? Like, he's been dead. Like, he's going to stink. Like, it's going to be a bad aroma coming out of that, that tomb. It doesn't change the fact it was a three-day decomposing body or a one-day decomposing body or a just death is death. It was different manifestations of death, yet all of them were dead. Didn't matter how long, didn't matter how deep. 
And the reality of our situation, church, it doesn't matter if you're Christian or not, a believer or not, washed or not, I want to remind you that if you are sitting in this place, if, if it could be me or it could be any of us sitting over here, we are sinners every single day in debt. Excuse me, in desperate need of God to forgive us and to show us his love and show us his mercy. We have to realize that there is a problem. And we just can't go around putting band-aids on what we need life to be restored to. We can't use a band-aid. They couldn't use a band-aid back in Jeremiah's time. They needed a miracle. Like we need to stop using band-aids where we are hemorrhaging. Like so many of us are hemorrhaging in our lives. It could be in our personal lives. It could be in our relationships. It could be in our marriages. It could be in our, in our, in our, in our relations with our kids. It could be in our relations with others. We're hemorrhaging. We are bleeding out. And all we can think of is temporary solutions. Let's put on a band-aid. Let's, let's cover it up. As long as people don't see the true you. And so many of us are okay as long as the world outside sees that we're okay. So how are you, brother, when, you see, when I see you on church on a Sunday, I'm like, how are you, brother? Oh, we're good, pastor, we're good. How's the family doing? Oh, we're, we're awesome. Too blessed to be stressed. Hashtag blessed. Always blessed, pastor. We cannot complain at all. No, you're not okay. Like some of us are in denial of our condition. Like we're good, we're good, pastor, we're good. Band-aid, 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 band-aid. As long as on Sunday, no one can see the hurt. As long as on Sunday, no one can see the pain. As long as we're smiling, we're okay. No, you're not okay. Your kids are on drugs. You're not okay. You have no savings in the account, in your bank account. You're not okay. You're living paycheck to paycheck, not knowing if you're going to pay your bills next month. You're not okay. You're deep in credit card debt. You're not okay. You've taken that second mortgage out. You're not okay. Your spouse has cheated on you. It kills you that you can't have kids of your own. You're frustrated that you can't pass that class for all you know. You're mad at God. You don't ever want to get into a relationship or get married again because a guy cheated on you. You're not okay. You don't ever want to trust anyone ever again because someone broke your trust. You don't think you can ever be loved because everyone in your life has used you. Stop saying you're okay. Because as long as we can put band-aids, everything's okay, right? But can we make something normal today? It's okay not to be okay. See, it's because it's, it's, it's denial that delays deliverance. Like God wants to deliver some people from their misery and from their problem and you're like, I don't have a problem. I'm good, Lord. See, God has this way of being, being, being attracted so deeply to depravity, to darkness, and God is attracted to that. See, God does not, see, it's a different thing. We treat God like people. Like you're not, you're not going out on a date with God. You don't have to dress up. You don't have to look proper. You don't have to look pretty. He wants to see the worst of you so that he can make you what he wants you to be. Not, he doesn't want to see the fake you. Can I talk to somebody today? Denial delays breakthrough. When we can get honest with God, God starts cleaning up some corners in your life that you had no clue needed clean up. When we start ending our pretensions, God's plans become clearer to us. A, we got to understand that there is a problem. Someone say, there's a problem. So when there's a problem, we all know the next step is there is an equation. There is a formula. If there's a problem, there is a formula. No teacher will give you a problem just for fun. 
There's a way to solve it. The formula is the plan of action. It's the theory. It's the, hey, this is how it's done. You can't heal a disease by denying its existence. See, if you want to heal a wound, you have to expose the wound. The only way you're going to understand what the problem needs is when you can allow the problem, in the, allow the problem to be out in the open and for God to work on it, to bring a plan of action. See, naturally, when there's, when there's hurt, like, like I, have, I have my kids, my, my Carissa, for example, she's four years old. She has a bump on her knee. She wants a Band-Aid. Like, she doesn't need to have a deep cut. She doesn't need to be bleeding. All she needs to do is scratch herself in the corner of a wall. She's like, I need a Band-Aid. The whole world comes, you understand what I'm saying, right? Like, if you have kids, grandkids, you know what I'm saying. The whole world comes crashing down if they don't get that Band-Aid. But it's important to expose hurt for it to be healed sometimes. Like we have our, our one-year-old. I'm sorry if I'm drawing this graphic picture, but over the last two days, we've been, we've been nursing a very bad diaper rash that she's developed. And, and it's so bad that yesterday, Sonia looked at me and said, we're taking your diapers off. She's walking around without a diaper. And I'm like, eh, I don't know if we want to do that. It's like, she's, not probably, she's one-year-old. She's not probably, she doesn't know what to do. She's like, babe, that's the only way that, you know, we're going to be able to naturally heal this. And I was like, take some Destin, put lather it all over and slap the diaper back on. And she, wasn't that funny? Yeah, it was, right? But Sonia insisted. She said, no, she's going butt naked tonight. And I was like, oh, God. I said, you're going to clean her up. I'm a prey. <laughs> I'm going to support you. So this morning, she came, Sonia came running to my office while I was praying in prayer. She's like, oh, baby just pooped and peed all over the bathroom floor. And I was like, my prayers worked. Thank God it wasn't the, the carpet in the bathroom, bedroom, right? I mean, it was in the bathroom. So my prayers worked. Now you go clean up. Yeah? Like, I did my part. But she knew she had the wisdom to say, unless you expose, unless you air it out. Come on, I'm not talking. And so many of us are not okay with airing it out because we feel like airing. And, 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 and it's understandable sometimes because naturally when there's hurt, you want to cover up a wound. See, there's risk in exposing a wound, particularly if people around you don't know how to handle it. Oof. Because everyone, I have two other kids that were so interested to go and touch my one-year-old's diaper rash. Like, ooh. I was like, get your dirty hands off and we're trying to heal it and not make it worse. There are so many people around you that are attracted to hurt in your life. My, yes, no, pastor, I have no clue what you're talking about. You haven't seen pain then. People haven't hurt you then. Because as much as God is attracted to pain, there's something about people, they're attracted to pain because they just want to observe. They just want to see and sometimes they just want to see you suffer. It's not they can add anything to you. They, you know, Job had friends. They just came and they were like adding fuel to the, his own wife. Said, Curse God. And there are people that thrive in those atmospheres. And so many of us are so closed off because we've been hurt in the pain of yesterday that we're like, man, I want to cover it up because I don't know how people around me will handle it. And, 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 and he's crying out, Jeremiah's crying out and saying, is there a physician who can bandage the wound of a hemorrhaging nation? We are bleeding out. We are hurting. And where is God? 
Can I tell you something? The formula was planned before the foundations of the world was laid. God knew that there would be a problem. God knew where there was no problem, where he creates human beings, there will be a problem. So he said, man, these guys, when I give them choice, they're going to become, become problems. So, so what happens in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, the Bible says, and God chose him, Jesus, as your ransom long before the world began. He said, you know what? I am going to have an equation. In Acts 2 and verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definitive plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of a lawless man. He said, I knew it all along. God in his infinite mercy before the foundations of the earth was laid, he said, Jesus is going to be your equation. He is going to be, now I'm, I'm breaking this down, so bear with me here. The formula was Jesus. He was the physician. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He was the one that was going to take your place. So you have the problem, you have the formula, you have the plan of action, but that's just theory. See, the plan of action is just theory. The equation is just theory. Anybody can, can study a formula. You know what I'm saying? Like you can, you can know how a formula is written or how it works. Now, the next step is the tricky part. See, math teachers will tell you. Do you teach math? Or, no, you, you teach English. But math teachers will tell you this, right? They will, and, and this was me growing up, right? You can easily fudge a math ex exam, right? Yes, yes, no, or anything as a matter of fact. Like you can, this was me growing up. I just looked at my neighbors. I was like, all right, 36. Let's go, 36. But that, that was the easy part. But the hard part was when you were called into her office, when she was grading the paper, and she's like, Ashish, how did you get to 36? Like, this is a pretty complicated. Anybody been there before? Anybody fudged? Oh, nobody. Thank you for being honest. We have, I don't think you're at that age. Fudging is not. I don't want y'all to hear about that right now. One person fudged with me. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. And you get that call into the teacher's office and you're like, all right, buddy, can you show me the work? Anybody heard of the work? I hated the work. I hated the work. I'll give you the solution. Don't ask me for the work because the work is the cost. See, the, the, I, can come, I can fudge the solution. See, the problem with church is there are so many of us that have fudged the solution growing up. Because Sunday school taught me that. So the answer is that. So the answer is that. Ooh, I'm stepping on some toes right now. You don't want to go through the process. If my parents said that that was the answer, that was the answer. If my teacher said that was the answer, that was the answer. Don't talk about it, don't ask questions, and that's that. So we're so used to fudging the exam that we have not done the work. And, and, and we have to understand what this work is. The work is simply the practical. See, talk is cheap. Anybody can say, I know the equation. But what you do with the equation? What do you do with Jesus? See, this is important. And the thing is this. Not a lot of people know this, but you don't have to do anything. It's done. See, this, this is the beautiful part. See, the practical aspect is the work. 
You know the theoretical aspect of the equation. Now take the equation, put it into work, show me the work. But when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, and when you look at the person of Jesus Christ, God in his infinite mercy sends his son and says, you do the work. So Jesus comes, does the work. He looks in his last few words, looks down in despair, pain, the weight of the world upon his shoulders, and he says, it is finished. He bows down his head, gives up his spirit. In his last few words, he basically says, man, the work is done. To Telestai, one word, which means, man, it's in perfect present tense, and, and tenses and verbs matter. The, the action was completed, but it continues to, the, to this day. It wasn't just words that Jesus used, but it's effective even till today that it is finished, and it continues to be finished, so you would not have to lift a finger and do anything on your own. See, the word to telestai was a common term. I want you to listen up closely. It was a common term. It was used as a business term, which meant the debt was fully paid. It was used as a legal term, which meant the sentence has been fully served. And it was used in a military term where the battle has been fully won. Three ways it was used. So when Jesus said it is finished, he meant three things. One, he meant that your debt of sin, everything that you were, you, you owe, it was paid, and someone say paid in full. The second thing, the punishment we should have received for our sins has been fully served. That's the second one. And the third one, the battle against sin and the powers of darkness has been won. Jesus went step by step he said, not only am I the equation, not only am I the formula, but I will also go ahead and do the work. So he said, what you had to do, he said, I will do for you. I will do on your behalf. He fights the battle. And I want to encourage somebody, rest in the finished work of the cross. He fought the battle so that you will get the victory. He said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, there's not even a little bit to make up. He, he said, there's not, I'm not leaving a few blanks for you to come and fill in. It's been done. All of it has been taken off, taken off your plate. It's been written off. You have nothing to deal with anymore. anymore. Whatever steps that you would have had to take, in order, because the steps were this. Bring a lamb to sacrifice every Passover. The steps were, you have to repent for your ways. The steps were the laws of Moses. Those were the steps still that day. But Jesus, in one word, to Telestai, he says, it's done. It's finished. I got it. I've taken care of the steps for you. You know, in Colossians 2, verses 13 to 14, there's this beautiful passage you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. Someone say all. When, say he, when he said it is finished, it meant even till this day. Verse 14, he canceled the handwriting or the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Can I, can I pause there for a second? 
For those of you who don't know what this means, Paul is actually referring to a common practice at the time where criminals were serving their jail sentence and and when they were in their jail cells, the the, the jailer would, before they they admitted him, would write down all the crimes that they had committed. And next to the crime that they had committed, they would write how many years that they would have to serve. It was a note. There was no ledger, there was no journal, there was no record, there was no computer. There was just a note that they would pin to the door of the, of the jail, of that cell, of this jail cell. And the beautiful thing is that when their sentence ended, the jailkeeper would take that paper, rip it off the wall. As the man was released from his handcuffs, brought out, the jailer would stamp the paper with the words to telestai which meant paid in full. Christ served our prison sentence for us when he cried, it is finished. He said, you don't ever have to enter the guilt and the shame of another sentence that you would ever have to go through because it is finished. This is exactly what Jesus was alluding to. He said, I am the work. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ. So it's not something that you have to do. You don't have to strive. You don't have to go through the steps. I have done the work for you. And because of that, you can rest in the knowledge that I have taken care of everything that otherwise you would be guilty of and that you would be accused of. So that brings us then to the solution because if you have a problem and you know the equation and you know the work, it automatically brings you to the solution. What's the solution to the broken world? You know, sometimes people come and ask me, Pastor, why the cross? Why such a gruesome death? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? See, and I tell people this all the time, the magnitude of the solution has to commensurate the magnitude of the problem. It cannot be on two different wavelengths. The solution has to fit the magnitude of the problem. When you skin your knee, you can put a Band-Aid on it. When you break your knee, you can't put a Band-Aid on it and call it a day. You get surgery. When you die, you can't put a band-aid on it and expect to live. The moment you die, what you need is life. And the solution, it always comes to life. Jesus is life. If you have Jesus inside of you, the Bible says, because I live, you will also live. It says that because Jesus lives, each one of us have another shot at life. You and I know that this world is not the end. If you and I die tomorrow in Christ, you and I are assured of the fact that the solution always ends up with eternity with Jesus. Life. The solution was life. When he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said, I am the life. I am the truth. He didn't just die. He just just didn't say, I'm going to die on a cross because see, anybody can do that. I said that during communion. Anybody can die on a cross. There were two thieves that died on the cross with Jesus. But what made him different from those two guys was the fact that three days later, Jesus rose to life. I was hopeless. I was suicidal. There were things in my life that were not going my way and I wanted to end things. The verse that changed my life 
for good was the verse that Jesus spoke right to my heart that said, because I live, you shall also live. See, Christianity doesn't hinge on the fact that Jesus died on the cross. I love the fact that as Christians, we put a cross on our neck and I, w- I want you to know that that's not the reason why I'm a Christian. That's not the reason I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because hope followed the cross. I am a Christian because Jesus rose up from the dead three days later. Come on, somebody. Oh, this is good. He, he said, this is, it's me. Like, he did the work. Now, now, when you look at the work, he rose up three days later. He goes up to heaven. And the Bible says he presents himself in front of his father. And you know what he presents? He presents the work. He goes up to the teacher and says, I've done the job. I've done the work that you have told me to do. I could have fudged. I could have got off the cross. I could have escaped the pain and the cruelty and, the, and, and, the, and all of that stuff. But no, I went through with the plan. So she, he shows up. And he says, you want to see the work? Here's the proof. The holes in my hands. The holes in my feet. The crushed skull is the proof of the work that has already been done. So guys, the solution to this broken world, it's the fact that Jesus rose up from the dead, not the fact that he died, but he rose up from the dead and he said, because I live, I am going to assure you of the fact that you will live in eternity with me. You and I, Ronnie, have the assurance, the blessed assurance that one day we will see Jesus once again and that day will be the most joyous day in my life. I'm looking forward to that more than anything else. Because in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 14, the Bible says, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then all our preaching is in Vain. He says it's useless. All of Christianity hinges on the fact that Jesus rose up from the dead. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if I was not 100% satisfied and fulfilled in knowing that Jesus rose up from the dead. I want to remind somebody that Jesus was just not a historical figure, but he said that he was the life, he was the way, he was the truth. So there's a problem, there's a formula, there's the work, there's the solution. But lastly, it's like my daughter, she loves math. I don't know where she gets it from, not for me. My seven-year-old loves math. Michaela, she's, she's right here. She, she asked me to print out worksheets from her, and I'm like, this is demonic. I just need to cast this out. <laughs> she, she loves math. So I print out worksheets for her, and she does great. She loves her math. She does great. She comes, comes to me with her answer sheet. And she's not, she's not like, I'm just going to fill this out. She wants the verdict. She wants to know how she did. Anybody do problem match sheets just for the fun of it? No, she, she wants to be congratulated. 
She wants to be patted on the back. She wants to hear the good job, baby. And if she gets one wrong, oh no, she's going back. And she's going to work till she gets it right. See the score, the rating. Where do I stand? That's what she wants to know. <laughs> Ephesians 2 verse 4, the Bible says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know what the verdict is? The verdict is that God gives you a place with him. That because you said yes to Jesus, and because you have life in Jesus, and because you know that you have a problem and you need healing, and you are in desperate need of that breakthrough and healing, God looks at you and says, I have seated you, I've raised you up, and I've seated you with me in heavenly places. Come on, somebody, this needs to get you excited. I will seat you with me in Ephesians 2 and verse 8. By for grace you've been given, you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, but is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast. His grace comes to me not through faith, uh, not through works. It comes to me purely by faith. Worship team, if you guys can come, help me up on stage. See, transformation happens when you guys realize, when we realize that we have to do our part. I was saying, Lord, what's the verdict? Like, what do I have to do? Where, where, where do I come in this mix? If I don't have to do anything, if the works are not mine, if God has done the work, then where do I come in? Can I give you biblically exactly where you come in? It's here, okay? That, that in Ephesians 2 and verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, when God prepared, what, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He has done the work. Our job is to walk in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The radical love of Jesus should transform you, should change you. Because here's the thing. Would you stand up to your feet with me, church? Here's the thing. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to emotionally, you know, uh, stir you up right now in this moment. I don't. I sincerely don't. But I wish you hear my heart on this. Can you give me your undivided attention for five minutes? See, the moment you realize how much someone loves you, you start to value them so much more. You know, historians would say that Jesus would have taken 39 lashes. Those lashes were tipped off with thorns and nails ripped through his skin, tearing him apart, nails driven down his hands and feet, crown shoved down his head, a spear pierced through his side, blood flowed out of his body to the point where the Bible says every ounce of water flowed out of his body. Every ounce of water, bodily fluid, came out of his body. That's how much his body was bruised. Whew. 
I wouldn't be stretching it to tell you that his heart literally exploded. When the weight of the sins of the world came down upon him and when he looked at his father, when blood flowed down his brows, when Jesus said, would you please take this cup of suffering away from me? He wasn't kidding because the weight of the sins of the world was way too much to bear. But he didn't fudge. He said, I'll do the work. Because I have to go up to my father and I have to show him the work. His heart literally exploded out of his chest. He gave his heart for me. See, that's how much he loved me. It was because of love. And I want to dare to tell you, you won't know how much you love him. And you will never know how much he truly and fully loves you unless and until you allow him into every part of your life. No, I'm not talking about a prayer that you prayed once upon a time saying, Jesus, come into my heart. That's not what I'm talking about. See, I'm talking about a relationship with somebody that knows you in and out and loves you still. I love you all. There's one person that I love more than anybody in this world, and that's my wife. And the reason I do that is because I know every part of her, parts that you don't know about, the reason she loves me unconditionally with all my flaws and all my shortcomings and all my weaknesses is because she loves me curves and edges and everything. Shortcomings and, you know, stuff that, you know, I am not proud of. She knows and she's like, I still love you. See, and that comes through trust and that comes through me being able to look at somebody and say, irrespective of what I've done, See, and that comes with my ability to be able to trust her with that information and to know that she will love me still. See, the love that I'm talking about is that kind of a love where you don't withhold anything. See, that, if you have not fully understand the love of the cross and the love of Jesus, it's the same message I preach every year I'm preaching again, but I want you to look at it a little more closely. Brother, I've been in church, I've been born, I've been saved. This is not my message. It's exactly for you because this message is for me. I'm asking you, what part of you have you not given up to Jesus? What part of you, have, what corner of your life are you hiding? What corner of your life are you putting band-aids on and saying, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. For some of us, it's addictions. For some of us, it's, it's your faithfulness to your wife. For some of us, it's your faithfulness to God. For some of us, it's relationships with people. For some of us, we just can't fully surrender and say, God, you have all of me. See, if you understand how much God loves you, the cross and the value of the cross and the value of the open tomb will mean completely something different to you than what it means to you right now. You have to understand the work in order for you to understand the solution. So many of us are having, trying to have a relationship with a solution that you arrive to without even understanding the work that was done. The teacher does not want the solution. She wants to know how you got to that solution. But sadly, there are Christians around us 
every single day that don't know what the work is. Baffled. Today I pray that you will open your eyes into understanding what the work was. You know, I say this story very often, but we're in the we're in the season of commencement speeches. People are graduating soon. Lots of commencement speeches around the month of May and mostly most of them are pretty predictable. Achieve your dreams. Shoot for the stars. The sky is the limit. You can do anything if you put your mind to it. But there's never been a commencement speech like the one at Morehouse College in 2019 where billionaire businessman Robert Smith took the stage as a guest speaker and he spoke to 396 graduates on that day. What he did that day would go down in history as one of the biggest things ever done on a graduation platform. He would go on to set 396 students free on that day. Not because they were criminals, not because they were legally bound, but reflecting on a long history of an African-American family he announced that on behalf of eight generations of his family, some of them including slaves, having gone through adversity, he was creating a grant that would pay student loans of every one of the 396 graduates. Yo, what a moment. One student had $200,000 worth of loans paid for in one day. The announcement that set us free from the most crushing debt of all time was made in three words. It is finished. To tell us that. So where do you come in this? It's so simple. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's it. Yo, that's it. It's not rocket science. It's not something that you have to study. It's not theory. It's not, oof. And only, the reason that I am so passionate about this gospel is because of the simplicity, yet the profundity of this gospel can sweep you off your feet if you allow this gospel to seep into every part of your being. The, simpl the simplicity and the profundity is what makes this gospel message the most potent message that can ever be shared. And today, if that's you and you're standing where you are and you're like, Pastor, I've, I've asked Jesus into my heart. But have you though? Does he have every part of your heart? Does he have every part of your being, of your existence? Please do not treat this day and this, this morning is just another worship service. Over the course of the next few minutes, I want us to take a few minutes in worship. I want to pray and close like I do every Sunday and I'm going to pray and I'm going to release you to the lobby and I know we have treats outside waiting for everybody. We have plenty for everybody. Nobody's going to miss out. But if you feel like you just need to take a moment today, we are celebrating our redemption.
Can I give you one, can, can you give me one minute to explain what that means? Have you ever enjoyed something that you never paid for? How many of you love gift cards for your birthdays? Ooh, I love my gifts, me some gift cards. I take that gift card to Starbucks and I give it to them. And I say, give me a Frappuccino. Never once have they said, that would be $5, sir. No, why? Because it's been paid for. I am just redeeming that which someone has already paid for. When you say yes to Jesus, you're walking in with your head held high, saying, I might not have a bank balance, but I have a Starbucks gift card. I am broke, but I can walk in here and I can order whatever I want because I have a $10 gift card. Come on, somebody. You can walk out with a venti drink because somebody paid for it. They don't care if you're broke. They don't care if you have a debit card, nothing. At that moment, you are using something that you did not deserve in the first place. Every time I walk into the sanctuary and I worship, I tell myself that I am just reminding myself of that redemption. I am cashing in on something that was never mine to start off with. If you can remind yourself that every single time you come into the presence of God, that we were sinners unworthy, but because of his love and his enduring mercy and his grace, he finds us every single time and we can walk in with our heads held high, leaving our shame and guilt at the door and say, I'm here to redeem what's mine. And what's yours is life in eternal. What's yours is joy and love and peace. And all you got to do is say yes to Jesus. Father, would you bless us this evening? Stir up within hearts today, Lord. I'm going to ask the people a question in a few seconds, Lord. And I pray today, Holy Spirit, that you will work on some hearts and tell them, Lord, tell them today. Don't, I can't tell them any more than I have, but I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you will mold their hearts and you will prepare their hearts to convince them that it's nothing that they have done or ever will do. It's only the grace of Jesus. If you're standing there and you've, you say, Pastor, this is me, this message was for me unashamedly. He was not ashamed of you when he got up on that cross. He was not ashamed to bear it all, be naked on that cross for you, neither should you. So if that's you that said, Pastor, this message was for me, it was a reaffirmation, it's a recommitment, I am recommitting myself this morning. Hey, all over this place, can I see your hands? If that's you saying, Pastor, I, that's, my, that's, that's my, my message for me. Show me your hands. Lift up your hands all over this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for those hands that are lifted up. I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray for you right now. Every eye closed in this place. I want to pray for you right now. Father, I bless them. Would you repeat after me? Everybody in this room, not just people that are raising their hands. Everybody. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for that sacrifice. Say, repeat after me. Say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for dying for me. 
Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving me life. Thank you for rising up from the dead. Thank you because I have eternity with you. I give you my life. I give you every part of my life. Every part of my being. Every part of my existence. Take control. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Jesus, take control of me. I am yours and yours alone. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing in this place. Lord, I bless your people. I thank you for the word of God and the gospel of hope that is true and that is powerful and that is potent. And I pray that this word will come alive in our hearts day after day and it will stir within us an urgency to let the world know that Jesus is Lord and King. We give you praise. We give you glory. We thank you for what you've done. We rejoice in the finished work of Jesus. In Jesus' name, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance your direction. May he give you peace that passeth all understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.